Well, I thought that real estate investing was supposed to be passive. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're a general partner and you're overseeing the, the real estate, that's not the case whatsoever. But, you know, if you're just sticking into fun, funds into someone's syndication and you're a limited partner, that's the true passive rally. Okay. So, but yeah, if you're the actual syndicator or the, the real estate investor, that's uh, it takes time and it takes effort, especially if you want to be successful. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the Apartment Owner's Guide to Operating Rental Properties as a Successful Business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan. It takes tested systems and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back everybody to another episode of Maximizing Your Property Value. I am your host, John Stiles with Bridge Realty, and I'm very pleased that you have joined us today. And I am pleased to introduce you to our guest today, who is Mike Roder. Mike, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome, and thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yes, of course. We're excited for the uh, all the experience and, and advice that you have to share with us. So a um, little bit about Mike. Mike started investing in real estate back in 2009. After accumulating a handful of single-family rentals, he switched gears and dove into multifamily investing. After purchasing two apartment complexes with his business partner, they decided to scale the business through syndication. Today, they are investing invested in over 1,200 units. They have led five syndications, and they have purchased multiple other apartments. They currently focus on robust markets such as Dallas-Fort Worth, Phoenix, and Minneapolis. Mike's passion for real estate stems from the financial freedom it allows his family to have, the ability to help others grow their wealth through passive income, and the opportunity to give back to children. So that's a little overview of Mike. And Mike, why don't you go ahead and kind of fill in some of the gaps there. Tell us how you you know, what led you to get into real estate and, and through that journey there? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, as, as you just stated, I started real estate investing in 2009. And, you know, we had purchased, myself and my now wife, um, had purchased our first single family home back in 2009 era. And we rented out three of the four bedrooms. And just, you know, receiving that cash flow consistently every month, um, and you know, not really having to pay for for much at that house as far as the expenses because of that cash flow, that really sparked our interest in you know accumulating more single family rentals. So we did. We we kept on um, you know accumulating single family rentals, accumulated a handful of those, and at that time, my business partner had been purchasing small to medium size apartment complexes in Minnesota and out on the West Coast. 
And we had talked a ton and, and he kept telling me, you know, why don't we come together and buy something bigger and really scale up? So that's what we did. We, we purchased a, a 20 unit together. We purchased an eight unit together. And then shortly after that, you know, we started running out of our own funds. And at the same time, we really wanted to help other people be able to, to stick their funds into real estate and help their money grow at the same time. So that's where we came across the syndication model. And we've been doing syndication ever since, which means raising money from passive investors to buy larger projects. And it's worked very, very well. And we've really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, and you've mentioned three main markets that you've, you're focused in. Um, how did you select those three markets? Yep. So Minneapolis, obviously very close to home. I grew up in central Minnesota, live in central Minnesota right now. Um, now, you know, you shouldn't always invest in your backyard, but luckily in Minnesota, you know, we have very good job growth. We have good population growth. Um, it's not the most landlord friendly state, but it's not terrible. So you can get by. Um, you know, it's also a very clean city. The people are nice. Um, you know, the overall economics of Minnesota are great. Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, Texas in general is one of the best markets out there for investing in real estate, in my opinion. Uh, very competitive down there, but all the economics really point to being successful in that market. So that's one of the reasons why we dove into to DFW. Phoenix, the same way. It's got robust growth. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity as well. So when you're looking at buying these larger apartment complexes, you know, there's a lot of markets that look great, but if there isn't the deal flow, so that if the properties aren't being listed in those markets, you know, it can be really hard to land, you know, a property or two per year if you're looking at, you know, 100 to 200 units. So Phoenix and Dallas-Fort Worth really have a lot of opportunity, whereas Minneapolis, we love it, but there's not a lot of properties being sold in in the space that we're, we're focused on. Yep, that is the challenge. Uh, obviously, I'm mm -hmm. here in Minneapolis as well. Um, and yeah, we don't have a ton of deal flow, but, uh, there are deals out there. <laughs> exactly. And I think, I think the reason why that's happening in Minnesota is because a lot of people have that buy and hold mentality up here. Yep. So they buy a property, they're looking to hold it for 20, 30 years, then they might pass it down to the next generation. And that seems to be more common up here. Whereas other markets, it's more of a, a flip mentality where people hold it for maybe one to five years and then they they uh, sell the property and they're into the next property. Yep. Um, you know, before we get into some of my uh, traditional questions that I ask here, I'm also wondering kind of what was the mind shift that took place in mm -hmm. order to get you from those single family rentals to the multifamily? Yep. So I think the big shift um, in conjunction with, you know, my business partner doing some of the smaller multifamily projects but the big shift for me was going from, you know, that eight and 20 unit project up to, you know, 75 plus unit projects. And where that shift happened was getting around investors that were being successful at syndicating projects. So I actually joined a mentorship group uh, down in Dallas, Fort Worth, when we were looking to syndicate. Um, so we hired on a mentor, hired on some coaches. Because, you know, first off, when you're dealing with other people's money, it's a whole different ballgame. You want to make sure that you're conservative, you're underwriting correctly, you have people that have went through downturns that you can bounce ideas off of and that own thousands of units. Um, but getting around those types of individuals that have been successful 
you know, in scaling their businesses was really instrumental to, to really shifting our mindset. Okay. Yeah. That's really important to learn mm -hmm. from others who have been there before and, you know, be around people that have kind of a, a bigger mentality, you know, as far as what's possible. Cause sometimes when we've only, uh, you know, experienced certain things, that's the limit of our imagination sometimes. So. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if I would have stuck in my own bubble, you know, when I first started doing single families, I'd probably still be doing that. You know, my original goal was to accumulate a hundred single family rentals. And, uh, you know, obviously that's, that's morphed into a whole different type of goal now. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's great. Thanks for kind of the introduction and letting us know who you are. Yeah. Um, what I like to cover in this podcast, I, I like to be a little bit different from many other podcasts that are out there. You know, I think a lot of emphasis is put on the excitingness of finding deals and purchasing deals, which obviously that's very important. But I think not as much emphasis is put on how do you manage these properties for success. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want to get into with you today. Um, so one of the first things I want to ask you about is creating a business plan for a multifamily investment business. Mm -hmm. um, what is What are some of the key features that you think are important for such a business plan? Yep. So when you go into, you know, analyzing a property, you really have to build out your full business plan. And that can take a significant amount of time. And that's before you submit an LOI or a letter of intent, you know, stating, hey, this is what I want to purchase this property for. This is what I'm willing to, to put on the board, so to speak. Um, you know, there's each deal is going to be, you know, different from one another. Um, but, you know, to give you an example, we typically go in, we underwrite what the current rents, what the current expenses are, you know, and a lot of times the selling broker will, will uh, provide that information. And then we'll take a look at our competitive properties, you know, that we're going to be competing with and make sure that the model that we're, you know, going after has already been proven out by another property. So say we're looking to push rents, you know, 15 to 20%. We want to make sure that another property has maybe done those upgrades on the interior or, you know, added additional amenities and they're already achieving those rents. So that way we know it's already been done. We can do it as well. Um, so that's one of the big parts in analyzing a deal. You know, another part in putting together your business plan is really um, diving in on what you need, what you're going to need to invest into the project to hit hit your goals and your performer rents and, and expenses. So, you know, many times we'll take a look at the amenities. We'll get bids for those amenities uh, if we're going to be putting in an LOI. So, say we're going to put in a pool or we're going to put in a grill or a pergola or a dog, a dog park. Um, we want to make sure that we have firm bids for those items. Same goes for the interior units for putting in $4,000 per unit for the interiors. We want to make sure that we have that broken down and we feel comfortable, you know, with our budget. And we always make sure to, to raise that capital up front or make sure that we have that capital sitting there when we close on the property. And that'd be, you know, a big piece of advice for me is, don't don't do your your value add plan out of your cash flow that you have coming in. You know, make sure to raise those funds and have that available right away. And that's you know one of the mistakes that we made right away buying those smaller apartments is we came in, we purchased the property, we had some working capital sitting in our account, but we didn't you know bring the capital to the table that needed to be infused into the project. 
Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, if, again, coming from the smaller property mindset, a lot of people just approach real estate with how much do I need for my down payment, which, mm-hmm. which obviously is a really important aspect, but you have to plan for those improvements that will be needed there too. Exactly. It's it's so, so very important. And even for a single family, I mean, you want to take a look at how old is the roof? How old are the mechanicals? You know, what condition is the foundation in? You know, because if one of those items goes out and you have to replace them, you know, it might be ten, fifteen thousand dollars that can eat up your cash flow for years and years to come on a single family residence. So no matter how big the property is, very, very important. Um, Another very important piece of the business plan is the team that you have surrounding you. Um, You know, whether it be your property management team, your legal counsel, your lender, um, you know, there's, there's so many different pieces that really fit into the puzzle. And those team members, especially as you get larger and larger as far as the property size, they're absolutely instrumental to your success. So you need to make sure that you're vetting all of those potential team members very, very well, you know, before you jump into a property. Yep. You know, going back to the value add uh, conversation, and you talked about getting your bids even before submitting an LOI. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that possible in our environment where, you know, multifamily is so popular that you have to get in your LOI, you know, really fast and you have to make quick decisions. Mm -hmm. So typically um, what we've been doing recently, if possible, is we bring our contractor along for the property tour. So usually, you know, on these properties, you go and you tour the asset, you might want to bring your management company and a contractor, especially if there's going to be a lot of projects that are going to be done. And then they can give you a general estimate of what it's going to cost to uh to implement you know those strategies now if you can't tour the property you know you can still put together a list of what you're looking to do on the property and you can send it over to your contractor and get a rough bid on those items yep well that makes sense all right well very good so we've talked about um you know defining what your value add is for the business uh, for the property um putting Mm -hmm. together your team members um what other aspects of the business plan do you make sure are in in place Yep. So other aspects of the business plan, um, you know, you want to make sure that you're comfortable with the capital that's going to be invested into the project. So for us, you know, we're raising capital. So say we buy a hundred unit, 150 unit project and we have to raise, you know, five to six million dollars. We want to make sure that we're either comfortable raising those funds or that we can bring someone else on, you know, to help us get to that point. Um, so that's very important. Uh, your business partner also is very instrumental. Um, so for myself, I would never go into another deal without a second set of eyes on the property, a business partner to work with. You know, obviously that really depends on the size of project you're doing and then also, you know, what your goals are. But anytime you can have two individuals, you know, there to, to check over each other's, you know, work, to have a second set of eyes on the project, it's, it, it's just unbelievable how much value that can add. Yep. So that's very important. Um, you know, having your management team look over and build out your budget for you. So even on a single family residence uh, or rental property, you know, send over the financials, send over your underwriting to your management team if you're going to have it professionally managed and make sure that they approve and that they can hit those numbers. Because, you know, the last thing that you want is for you to put together, put all this work in, purchase the property, and then all of a sudden your management team can't perform to, to what you had been projecting, and all of a sudden your returns go down the drain. So that's a very, very important piece of the business plan as well. Yep. 
Um, so I want to look further into the business partner aspect of this. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you had a business partner pretty early on. Um, how did you divide up roles and responsibilities so you make sure you know everything is covered and you guys are not kind of stepping on each other's toes or maybe doing the exact same thing? That's that's a really good question. So. You know, it really morphed uh, into what it is today over time. So we we joined forces, we started buying properties, and, you know, we would just nail off task by task. So, you know, say the management company sent over something that we needed to do, whoever got to the task first, you know, that's who, who, who completed it. And we're both, you know, we both have a very strong work ethic, um, and we work really well together. So that worked very seamless. Now, over the last few years, um, we've started to divide out tasks. So investor relations, you know, relationships with brokers, creating systems, um, and you name it. We've started to, you know, really give each specialty to either myself or my business partner, Dan, um, because it makes more sense. You know, for instance, investor relations, you know, building out our monthly investor updates through MailChimp. I've learned that system. I've learned what works, what doesn't work. And it doesn't make sense for my business partner to, to learn the system and to, to go ahead and do all of that as well. You know, it just, it wouldn't be efficient. So that's one task that I've, I've really taken on. And so that's, uh, kind of how it's morphed throughout time. Yeah. Do you feel like a two person business team is kind of a good, you know, good balance? Or do you feel like there's room for growth in that? Or, you know, for somebody that's looking at getting into this in the future, what's a good, size business partnership? Yeah. So I think when you first start off, you know, having one other individual, so two total is, is fantastic. And I think as you go, if you're really looking to scale, you're likely going to bring on other individuals into your business. Um, so for instance, we've done some projects where we bring in a third co-sponsor or general partner on projects, whether that be, you know, for the lending side, we need to qualify for the debt and it's a new market. Or, you know, maybe they have some experience that we really uh, could benefit from. Um, or maybe they're boots on the ground in the market that we're investing in. So I think you really want to keep your options open and, you know, maybe go with one, one individual at first. And then as you progress, take a look at other options. And another thing that we're looking to do this year is we're, we're going to be hiring on a bookkeeper and then a virtual assistant as well. So, you know, other than your, your main business partner, there's other partners that you can bring in a house as you scale your business. Yep. Nice. Um, and you've talked a little bit about systems. You just briefly mentioned it. Um, mm -hmm. What are some systems that you think are really important to your business that maybe other people are overlooking? Mm -hmm. So I think first off, uh, communication. You know, you want to have open communication, especially when you have other investors that are involved. Um, so we've, you know, built out a system where it's really systematized to do it each month. You know, right now, because of the, the COVID-19 virus issue, we're going to a bi-weekly update for our investors. Um, just because in these tough times, you really need to stay on top of that and people want to know what's going on. But uh, if you can systematize that, that really, really helps. It helps, you know, keep your investors at ease and it really, they really appreciate that. And then it helps helps you as an investor, you know, become more efficient as well. So what um, is, what does that look like? You've you've mentioned Mailchimp. Is that your system, or what is what does it look correct. like? Correct. So we use Mailchimp. Um, you know, it's a good platform to to put together, you know, your templates of what you're going to be sending out each month. 
And then each month you can really copy paste that template, you know, and then make your adjustments as you go. So it becomes very, very efficient. Uh, you can also put all of your investors in that database as well and send the emails directly out from there. You can schedule the emails um, and you can do that in Gmail as well. You know, you can, you can schedule your emails, you know, as you go, if you'd like to do that. So anything that you can think of that you can systematize, you know, is fantastic. And it's a work in progress for us. You know, any, anytime that we think that we can systematize something, we start working on it and put it on our board and, you know, try to strive to, to make it uh, a reality. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I think that's, that's really important to have systems and not just kind of fly by the seat of your pants. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Another system that we, we've, you know, kind of integrated is our, our monthly or sorry, our weekly management calls. You know, when we first started out, we'd have our weekly management calls where we're touching base on the performance of the property, our CapEx projects and so on. And we'd get done with the call. And, and that was that. And over time, we really realized that, hey, we need to, to send over an action item list after we get done with that weekly management call um, just to follow up with everything and really hold those people accountable, you know, for their actions. And then what we do is we throw it in our weekly calendar invite for the next week. We put those action items in the next week so we can touch base with the management team and make sure that everything's been done, you know, correctly and on time. So it's simple things like that that can really make a big, big difference in your business. Yep. Yeah, that uh, it's really important to have follow up. Otherwise, you know, if you have these regular meetings and you're definitely you're eventually going to be forgetting certain things that were talked about previously, unless they're mm -hmm. written down and there's a follow up process. Exactly. So you've talked briefly about property managers, and I want to get into that a little bit more. You know, obviously, when you have just a small portfolio, it's pretty easy to to manage that yourself. Um, mm -hmm. And then eventually we get into hiring a third party property manager or another option that people do is just hire employees and have kind of a vertically integrated option. Um, what has been your experience and what pros and cons have you seen in all of that? Yep. So I think, you know, first off, when you're going to have a management team manage one of your properties, I would strongly recommend, you know, first off, getting some referrals from other investors where, you know, maybe that management team has done a really good job for them. So some inside referrals is, is huge. And then I would strongly recommend trying to interview, sit down at the property manager's office, you know, so you can see their operations, you can, you know, meet their employees and go ahead and interview, you know, five to 10 management companies if you can, if there's that amount available in that market. And then you should really have a good feel of, you know, who you think you would fit well with, who the property would fit well with, because some of these management teams you know, solely manage single family rentals, or maybe they manage, you know, mid-size apartments or large apartments. So you want to make sure that they fit well with your business model. And then also call the referrals. So, you know, ask for a handful of referrals, call those referrals. And when you're talking to those referrals, also ask if they know anyone else that uses that management company. So you can get some outside referrals as well. So that's, uh, you know, extremely important. Um, and then, you know, when you're integrating them into the property, you know, make sure you involve them before you purchase the property. Make sure you get out to the property right after you purchase. Do a walkthrough on the property. Talk to them about your plans, you know, your performa rents, you know, what you plan to do, what they plan to do. And, uh, and then keep lines of communication open as you go through the whole process on that asset. Yep. So going back to that interview process, what are some of the questions mm -hmm. that you're asking 
Yep. So a few questions that you'll want to ask, um, you know, number one, what's your footprint in this area? So how many units do you manage in this specific market that we're looking to buy this property in? Very, very important. You know, if they, you know, say they're a Minnesota based company and you're purchasing a property in, you know, Maple Grove, but they don't have any other assets in Maple Grove, you know, that might be a, a disconnect there. So you need to find that out. Um, you also want to ask for any referrals that they have uh, so they can, you know, send those over. Ask about uh, what software they use. So you want to, you know, make sure that they have a, a very good software system, you know, not only for, you know, the reports, but anything else that they're going to utilize that for to keep in touch with the tenants to collect rent and so on. Um, you're probably going to want to make sure that, you know, rent payments can be made online as well. And, you know, in today's environment, where we have, you know, potential, um, you know, shelter in place coming up here in the near future. I mean, that's just imperative to have that technology available. Um, you want to ask how many employees they have on their team. You know, if it's just a two-man shop and you're looking to purchase a 20 to 30 unit apartment complex, you know, it might be tough for them to, to manage that, that property. Um, so there's a lot of different questions that you can ask. And what I can do, you know, anyone that's interested in receiving our questionnaire, uh, with all the questions that we ask our property managers, feel free to sh shoot me over an email after the show and I can certainly send over that, that white page to you as well. Ah, very good. Appreciate that. Yeah. You bet. Um, you mentioned software. Do you try to keep the software the same with your different managers? Because I imagine, you know, obviously with different locations, you've got multiple managers, management companies. Mm -hmm. so do you try to keep that the same or are you open to different ones? No, we're open to different different software systems. So um, we just want to make sure that they have a reputable uh, option in place that's going to create the reports that we really need to have and that's going to do what we need it to do. And that's another thing that you can ask your management company is, you know, can I see a set of your monthly financials that you give to your investors? Take a look through them. And, you know, if something's missing, ask them if they can add it in. Yep. Okay, so you talked about having weekly meetings with your management companies. Um, is there some key performance indicators that you review with them in those calls? Yep, so you're going to want to take a look at, you know, quite a few different, you know, KPIs. Um, you know, a few of them to list off would be, you know, your current occupancy, very, very important. You're going to want to take a look at your vacant units and where they are in the current turn cycle. So whether they're you know, ready, but they're not rented, or maybe they're vacant and they're not ready. And there's some CapEx that needs to be put into them as well. Um, you're going to want to look at your collections, you know, and just make sure that you don't have, you know, a significant amount of bad debt. Um, and, uh, you know, there's quite a few other uh, KPIs that you're going to want to take a look at as you're, you know, going through that weekly call. But at the same time, you want to make sure not to overwhelm your management company. So really pick out, you know, a handful of items that are really important to touch on and, uh, and, and, and kind of put the rest to the wayside because, you know, you just, you just want to make sure that you're not overwhelming that individual. Yeah. That's a really good point because I know for myself, I think I'm pretty analytical. And so when I look at KPIs, even for my own business, um, you know, I can dig down pretty deep and start tracking mm -hmm. a lot of different numbers, but they're, that's not always the best use of my time to be, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it takes effort to, to document, track, and update those, those sheets, you know, I call it my scoreboard. Um, yep. Yep. 
So it really does. So yeah, how do you balance like, you know, making sure your manager is doing the right thing, but not like overly micromanaging them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that really comes down to you know the financial reports that you receive each month. I mean, if the financials are looking fantastic, you know that's really your report card and your manager's report card on how they're doing. So, you know, if, if there's something that's, you know, an issue, so say you're at, you know, 85% occupancy and you plan on being at 95% occupancy, you know, you need to really drill into that issue and drill into it with the management company and figure out that problem. Um, so, you know, it really depends on how the property is doing, but typically we'll, we'll go through maybe, you know, five to 10 different issues or main questions that we want to hit on each week. And, you know, if we need to, to add more in there, you know, if, if something's going on with the property and needs to be fixed, you know, we can add as many as we need to, but we try to keep it, you know, regulated on, on how much we're talking to them about. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, one of the main aspects of our rental business is tenant retention. And mm -hmm. that can uh, take place a lot through great customer service. So how do you create kind of a culture of customer service throughout your team members and even down to the leasing agents and the contractors and the handymen and anybody who's, you know, interacting with tenants? Yep. So, you know, first off, you want to uh, communicate frequently with your team members and your investors. I mean, that's very, very important to keep every, everyone up to date. And then you also be, want to be really prompt on your responses. You know, that's not saying that you can't take some time off, but just make sure to get back to people uh, quickly. You know, say your management team company uh, emails you a question. Well, if you wait a week or, you know, maybe three or four days to get back to them, you know, what, side of, what, side of, what uh, type of vibe is that really setting for them? You know, if you're doing that, why can't they do that? So make sure to, to take that into consideration. Um, you know, for tenant retention, we always want to make sure that we're keeping up on how the maintenance requests are, are being processed. Um, you know, if they're not being taken care of and the maintenance requests aren't being taken care of on a timely basis, you know, your, your retention is going to dip. So make sure you keep your pulse on that. Um, if you can, you know, if you have some apartment complexes, try to, you know, have some uh, tenant events each year. So you know, whether that be, you know, event around the holidays or, you know, maybe a tenant appreciation event where you buy some grilling food and, and whatnot, and you just show them that you appreciate, you know, the rental income that they're providing and appreciate them living there. I think that can be, you know, a big value add. And, uh, and then just making sure that your on-site is doing a good job. So if you do have an on-site manager, you know, just make sure that they're, you know, friendly with the tenants. Um, they're stern, but yet, you know, they're, they're growing a good relationship with the tenants. Yeah, I think that's really important. Uh, you know, treating our tenants like customers is really important so that they feel appreciated, that they feel wanted, that they enjoy living at the property and not just treating them like a commodity. So um, is there anything else um, that you do um, proactively? Um, you know, I think responding to maintenance is somewhat of a reactive thing and it's obviously very mm -hmm. important, but what else you do proactively? You know, proactively, um, when we do come into these projects, we always want to make sure that we're taking care of the deferred maintenance up front, if possible. Now, obviously, if you're buying a property in the 60s and you have 100 units, you're probably not going to take care of all the issues. But the more that you can get out of the way, you know, early on, 
the more that's going to help, you know, with your tenant retention, you know, with your overall maintenance of the property and your expenses. Um, so that's something that we look to do is, you know, to try to bring in as much capital at first as possible um, to take care of, of the deferred maintenance. Yep. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. Just the overall topic of maintenance and capital improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've already mentioned, you know, bringing in your contractor right away at the beginning, making sure you get realistic bids on that. And then what about implementing it and making sure that the work's getting done? What, what systems do you have around that? Yep. So we, we usually use a combination of ourselves overseeing the projects and then also, you know, our onsite and our management team overseeing the projects as well. So you want to make sure that when you do write up a contract with the contractor, you know, that it has timeframes in there or that they're clear on when the projects are going to be completed. Um, and you want to be very detailed in what's going to be done as well. So whether it be the material that they're going to use or, you know, what you know what units they're going to to revamp what amenities they're going to add you want to be very very detailed with that uh, another thing that we request is photos as they go so you know if we're putting in a new office we want to make sure that we're having photos come in as they make progress on the property sometimes your contractor will send you over those photos sometimes your sometimes your management company will send you those photos and that's really really important especially if you're dealing out of out of state or in a different market so if we buy a, buy a property down in Texas, you know, we need to make sure that we have either eyes on the property. So someone visiting the property regularly or that we're getting videos and photos and having those weekly calls with our management company to make sure everything's going seamlessly. Yep. So that's uh, extremely important. And then, you know, tracking how much you're spending and what projects have been completed as well. So make sure to keep a spreadsheet of what you've done, what you've spent and that becomes, you know, very, very important on these larger projects, um, not only just to keep track of the funds, but also a lot of times you have draws from your lender that you're processing and you need to be very, very organized when doing that. Otherwise, it can really, really be a mess. Yep. Now, we've talked a little bit about different parts of a value add uh, plan. And how do you know what things to do? For example, if if you're not, you know, don't have a background in construction, you don't have a background mm-hmm. in interior design, you know, what, uh, do you bring in partners on that? Or are you relying on your contractor to, to be honest and give you the best advice or? Yeah. So that's a good question. You know, I would say when you do your property tour, you know, if you can do it with your management company, you're going to be able to feed off of one another and really, you know, figure out well, and ask yourself this when you're going through the property, if I was a tenant, what would I like to see at this property? What would make me lease this, you know, a unit here? And what would make me, you know, pay more rent here? And if you can really dive into the, the tenant's mindset, you know, that could, should really show you what some of the value add projects are that you should do. You know, also going out and touring the competitive properties. I know that might be a little tough with single families, but if you get into the apartment space, you know, when you tour these other competitive properties, that's going to really show you what type of amenities and what type of unit upgrades you should really be doing on the property. Yep. So when you're doing uh, tours of other properties, are you typically going through, you know, maybe that manager that you're interviewing and just saying, Hey, show me some of your other products or are you doing kind of secret shopping kind of like, you know, Yep. So we've, we've done it both ways. We've done a lot of secret shopping, you know, where we untuck our business shirt and walk in there and say, Hey, I'm looking to rent a unit. You know, sometimes the on-sites will catch on. Sometimes they won't. 
Um, you know, recently we've been doing more of the, hey, we're looking at buying a property down the street. You know, can we tour one of one of your apartment units and, you know, take a look at your amenities? Usually the on-sites are very open to that. Um, so I would say either way, whatever you feel most comfortable with, um, go with that route. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I know you've already talked about, you know, ways to make sure work is getting done through pictures um, and reports from the contractors. Um, is there anything else that, um, you know, maybe talking about ongoing maintenance, not not your planned mm -hmm. uh, value add, but just ongoing maintenance. Yep. Um, do you typically have on-site maintenance staff or do you, at your properties? We do. So we, we try to have on on, an on-site maintenance person if the property supports it. Now, we do have some smaller properties where we have roaming maintenance um, that's underneath the management company, and that works well as well. Um, but one thing you want to pay attention to is how many open maintenance requests there are. So your management company should be able to provide that information to you, you know, on a, on a monthly basis. And if you can keep track of what, you know, what's that trending to or how many open maintenance requests there are, you know, you should be able to tell, are they keeping up? You know, are they doing a good job on, on these requests? Yeah. And then another thing that you can do, um, you know, is, is visit the property. Try to visit the property as often as possible. You know, not only to see how they're doing with maintenance, but, you know, to take a look if there's any trash on the property. Take a look at how they're doing with their value-add projects. You know, how the unit turns look. So if they're turning a unit, you know, is it clean? Is the flooring done properly? You know, are there, are there nicks and dings everywhere? Um, you know, that, that'll tell you a lot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what about for your out-of-state properties? What is your plan mm -hmm. for how frequently you visit the properties? Yep. So typically we like to go into the market around once a month or so to visit the property. And then, you know, like I had mentioned, you know, obviously we're requesting photos. We're having our on-site manager uh, give us feedback and whatnot as well. Yep. Well, I thought that real estate investing was supposed to be passive. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're a general partner and you're overseeing the, the real estate, that's not the case whatsoever. But you know, if you're just sticking into fun, funds into someone's syndication and you're a limited partner, that's the true passive relic. Okay. So, but yeah, if you're the actual syndicator or the, the real estate investor, that's uh, it takes time and it takes effort, especially if you want to be successful. Yep. Do you have a system for tracking what products you're putting into the apartments so that when a maintenance thing comes up in the future, you know, you can kind of easily reference that and then make sure you're staying consistent throughout? Yep. So our management team does keep track of what items they're putting in into the units. Um, so that way we use the same thing every time. Now we actually have started to uh, reach out to a couple providers that, that provide unit turn kits. And you basically build out a kit for each unit type. And, uh, you know, it comes with everything that you need. And you might need to subtract a few items, you know, on each unit, depending upon what upgrades have already been done but that really helps streamline the process. So that's something we're right in the middle of, of trying to, to integrate into our business. Hmm. That's interesting. So they're like a supply material supply company. Correct. Okay. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And then do they deliver right to the property then? They do. Exactly. So you can, you know, you can order unit by unit for the unit turn kits, or you can, you know, order a big batch of them. So say you have an 86 unit apartment complex and you want to order 86 units at once and, and try to nail everything out right away and store them on premises. You know, you can do that as well. So it's a good option for 
you know, certain types of assets. Yep. Yeah. And that's a good thing to remember, even for smaller operators, you know, you can cut down on trips to the home improvement store for you or your contractor, you know, if you exactly. just take advantage of the delivery options. That's right. It can save a lot of time and a lot of money. Yep. For sure. Yep. Um, you know, being a landlord or a property investor has a lot of benefits, but it's not all an easy road. Uh, what is an example of something that's been difficult or challenging for you and and how have you learned from it? Yeah, so I would say one of the most challenging aspects over the last couple of years has been finding assets to purchase. You know, it's a very, very competitive market. Any good sub-market that you're in, there's going to be, you know, a lot, a lot of competition. So, you know, just keeping your mindset positive as you go, you know, you're going to lose out on a lot of deals that you offer on and you need to keep, you know, pushing forward because really it's a numbers game. The more offers that you put in, the more likelihood that you're going to, you know, land a project eventually. So that's been, you know, one of the tough things for us to navigate over the last few years, who knows that might change over the next year here, you know, with what's going on. Um, you know, uh, another, you know, tough thing to navigate would be, um, just navigating through the tough times, you know, whether it be a recession or, you know, the COVID-19 that we have going on right now, obviously a lot of people are learning, you know, different things about multifamily and what to do in these circumstances. So I think these type of times are really what uh, can be tough for certain invest investors and you need to take, you know, proactive measures to make sure that you're in a good position, you know, as you go through, through tougher times. Yep. Yeah, it's this whole situation with the virus is really crazy. And um, hopefully we can get through this quickly so we can all get to recover, recovery soon, you know. I agree. I hope so. But um, so you talked about mindset. What things do you do maybe on a daily basis or weekly basis or whatever mm -hmm. to make sure your mindset is in the right place? Yep. So I think, um, you know, first off, reading some some really positive, you know, PMA positive mental attitude books, you know, that are really going to, you know, kind of change your mindset and keep you on that positive vibe. Um, that's something that I strive to do. Uh, listen to podcasts as much as you can, whether it be about real estate or motivational, you know, podcasts or you name it. Those are just really going to help fill your mind with positive information and, uh, and relevant information as well. So instead of, you know, turning on a song on your radio, you know, throw a podcast on if you can. And then also, you know, teaming up with the right business partner. I mean, that's that's huge. If you can have someone there, you know, pushing you and kind of setting your mind straight and, you know, tough times, that can be, you know, a huge, huge win-win to both you and your business partner. Yep. Makes sense. You know, what you put in your mind is what you think about, is what you dwell on, and that's what comes out, you know. So very good points there. You bet. Um, you mentioned briefly about the mindset in the Midwest here of kind of buying properties and then holding on them onto them, you know, indefinitely. Um, I know with syndications, typically, you know, you have a projected sale date, maybe five, seven, 10 years, whatever it might be. Um, how do you know which is the best, you know, strategy to take and why not just be a buy and hold forever investor? Yep. So that's a good question and very, very hard to answer because it really depends on, you know, what your goals are, what your short-term and long-term goals are. You know, a lot of people will go into it saying, Hey, I just want a cash flowing asset. You know, I want five, $6,000 a month from this property. 
and I want to hold it long term, you know, especially if it's cash flowing well, which is great. I mean, that's fantastic for certain individuals. Um, for other people, you know, they're looking to get in and out over maybe a two to five year span, kind of like you said in the syndication model. And, and that works really well with, for some people as well. So when you go to, you know, purchase a property, I would say, um, try to look at multiple exit strategies, whether that be, you know, selling short term, holding long term, if you have an economic downturn, you know, make sure you have the right debt in place. Or, you know, maybe you look at a possible refinance after a few years to pull out some of your capital so you can stick it into another project. So I really think it just depends on, you know, what the investor's goals are, uh, what market they're in, and then also the market cycle that they're in. Yep. So what about you personally? What, how have you defined your goals in all this? Yep. So what we're doing now is uh, really a th- around a three to seven year hold on our properties that we're purchasing. And the reason for that is we're, we have multiple investors coming into these projects. So we might have, you know, anywhere from 20 to 100 investors in one project. And each person, you know, has, has a little bit different plan for their, their funds that they're sticking into the deal. So some might want it back sooner. Some might want it back later. So we typically say, hey, we're looking to, to hold this project three to seven years. Could be shorter. It could be, you know, longer, depending upon what happens with the property and the market cycle. Um, but this is our general plan. So that way it can really give those investors ease and, you know, allow them to plan accordingly. Yep. Yeah. So definitely when you have other people and as a part of the team of the investors, you know, you have to <laughs> take everybody into consideration with that. So exactly. Yep. That's the truth. Well, very good. Well, listen, we're going to wrap things up here with the the podcast and just want to see if there's any final thoughts that you have about business planning and management and making sure that you're, you know, reaching the end of that whole period, you know, and being able to sell for the greatest value. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as far as selling for the greatest value, I would say, you know, again, it comes down to your exit strategy when you went in, but if you do have an apartment complex, you know, try to prove out some higher rents before you go to sell. So say your business plan is going as possible, you're four years in and you're looking to sell in the next six months, you know, maybe try to, to upgrade the units further and push the rents a little bit further. Because a lot of times what'll happen is when people sell these properties, they're really selling on the pro forma numbers. So if you have, you know, maybe 20% of your units rented out for a premium, you know, you might be able to sell it off of having all those those units at that premium because that's what the next investor plans to do. So that might be a good option for that. Um, as far as other thoughts, you know, I would say, you know, just stay positive, keep at it. You know, you're going to land a project. Um, don't don't go into analysis paralysis. Don't you know sit there and analyze properties and not submit offers. You know, make sure to take action. And if you're afraid to take action. You know, find a business partner that's, you know, there to, to push you to the next level or a mentor or a coach or someone that can really hold you accountable. Yep. Yeah, that's great advice there. So, Good. well, listen, before I let you go, I want to ask just a couple of questions about yourself so that the audience can get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. So question number one is why do you get up in the morning? Yep. So a couple different reasons. You know, first off, my family, I have two girls, a seven and a four year old and my wife. Um, absolutely amazing family. So they really motivate me to, you know, be successful and to, to do whatever it takes to, to create a great lifestyle. Um, second thing that really motivates me is giving back. So we 
give a certain portion of our profits to a nonprofit called the Sheridan Story, and it helps fill hunger gaps. Um, so essentially, when you have children in the summer or situations right now where the kids aren't in school, a lot of these families really uh, low-income families rely on you know the the school meals to take care of their children, and they might not have the funds to purchase meals. So you know this really helps fill that gap. So we absolutely love that. It really motivates us. And then the third thing is, you know, my business partner, just being successful to create a better life for him and his family as well. Yeah, very good. Well, that's great. Uh, appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, my last question for you then is, how, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about your business? You bet. So there's two ways you can get in touch with me. First off, you can shoot me over an email. So my email address is mike at granite towers equity group.com or you can head on over to our website and fill in the, the contact us page uh, that would be granite towers equity group.com all right very good well i hope uh, people will contact you get that uh, paper that you mentioned earlier with questions to ask property managers during an interview and uh, to our audience thank you so much for tuning in for this episode. I hope you got something out of it that you can take and implement into your own business. Um, if you did, go ahead and comment below. Uh, we'd love to get some interaction and uh, know that you're out there listening. Um, and also be sure to go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and rate us and review us. That will just help us to expand the audience and, and share this with more and more people. So thank you so much for listening. And thanks again, Mike, for your time today. You bet. Thanks, John. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. Talk to you later. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investments in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax, and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.